Welcome to the Orthodontics and Summary Podcast, where Farouk brings you the key points and understanding of orthodontic webinars, conferences, and papers in a concise podcast with your host, Farouk Ahmed. Hello, all. Today, I'm bringing to you a summary of the mini-series of webinars by the European Orthodontic Society. It's an interesting series of three lectures, which have eminent professors within orthodontic speaking. We've got Marinda Nanda, who's going to be talking about the current state of orthodontics, where we are, why we do what we do. Next, we'll have Dirk Wickman, who's going to describe class two correction and new contemporary ideas for their solution. And then we'll conclude with Theodore Elidias, who's looking at the future of orthodontics and looks at three distinct new ideas, some which apply to orthodontics, some which are going to be applying to orthodontics. I'll join you guys at the end for my reflections on this mini-series by the European Society of Orthodontics. This lecture is entitled Current Clinical Trends and Evidence. This was by Professor Varinda Nanda, and it was part of the European Orthodontic Society's webinars. So Ravi described four components to his lecture, and that was the variation in appliances on our understanding. He gave an example of trends and evidences, where they agree and disagree, and he, gave the, he used class two correction for that. He looked at personality-based orthodontics and our clinical practice, and also what the future holds for orthodontics. So starting off looking at various appliances, he described how there is no consensus about the bracket type or prescription which you use in orthodontics. He says that's not going to be possible, as there are such a variety of confounding factors to how we deliver forces to teeth. There's the alveolar bone, the size and shape of the crowns, and also the ligation method. And all of these are variables. He described how the bracket slot size, we've got advantages and disadvantages from using an 018 slot versus an 022 slot. He went on to describing how the wire interaction with the bracket slot and biological response are what achieves tooth movement, and we need to accept both play a significant factor. He said the way to move forwards in our profession is to agree on a, and have conformity on how the forces are delivered to teeth so we can start to advance our science further. He then went on to describe trends in orthodontics. So, Ravi is also the editor-in-chief of Progress in Orthodontics, which is an established journal. Now, what he did is that he looked at what are the most popular downloads from his journal. What he found was that temporary anchors devices were at the very top, followed by research on aligners, then expansion and space closure. So, these are the themes that, as viewers or audiences, we are interested in. He then went on to describe class two correction, and he looked, gave both an evidence-based approach to this, but also looking at personality-based orthodontics and its influence. So we know class two correction is an area well-researched within orthodontics. He quoted five systematic reviews, all showing that the mandible does not grow during the process of class two correction. However, he mentioned a company, Motion Appliances, which state that they do change the mandible. He described how there has been a systematic review which has looked at class 2 correction versus the Motion Appliance and shown there's no significant difference between the two. 
there was a study by Janssen in 2012 which looked at class 2 correction just with elastics. And it showed actually the mechanical outcomes to the dentition are no dissimilar to fixed functional appliances. From a biomechanical perspective, we end up tipping teeth. And actually, unless we upright upper posterior teeth, there's no significant space to be able to retract the upper incisors. There was a paper by Yin in 2019 looking at the motion appliance and some of the claims made about it and showed actually there was no skeletal change that took place. Yet it is still promoted following this body of evidence that's taken place that state that the motion does create skeletal changes. And he mentioned that how we need to be proactive in engaging with the literature so we can refute some of these claims which are unsubstantiated. He gave a clinical tip when it came to class 2 correction and he gave his simple method of correcting it using a class 2 lever tipping the molar posteriorly, followed by class two elastics to then absorb the space and retract the upper anterior teeth. He then went on to describe accelerated tooth movement, a really interesting science developing within orthodontics. He looked at the microosseoperforation, something which was proposed in numerous papers, and one of them was by a was by Alkini, and that was in 2013. And this was the Propel uh, trade name. And the paper they produced, he went into some detail and described it was based over 28 days and showed that there was 30 to 40% quicker tooth movement. And he mentioned that how this in the grander treatment in orthodontics is not significant enough of a time frame to make a discernible judgment. Yet we have now had systematic reviews which have followed, and he quoted one by Santos in 2020, which showed there is no difference in microosseoperforation and not having microosseoperforation when it comes to tooth movement. Ravi then went on to describe a new aspect within the science in orthodontics, and that's looking at skeletal expansion using non-surgical means. And he described how this topic and body is growing. He described how it's a really positive and ideal way to look at evidence developing within orthodontics. He described how when the evidence is produced, it is usually with objective, ideal imagery and outcomes. And he gave examples of cone beam seam T studies and also appropriate imagery being taken. He described how there are no long-term studies investigating skeletal expansion, but he mentioned that the research which is being published is going in that direction, and how this is a real positive sign within orthodontics about engagement in literature and also clinical-based practice. Going forwards in orthodontics, so Ravi looking into the crystal ball has looked at, well, where could we go to in the future? He described how our science can develop further and we may be able to give patients precise timings for their treatment. We could enhance orthodontic tooth movement. We could quicken the rate of tooth movement taking place. He also described biological profiling so we'll better understand our patients. We can be less evasive and more precise in the treatment we deliver. He also said personalised orthodontics, where we know the biological and molecular causes of malocclusion, will also help us create a solution. The next lecture is entitled Go East or Go West, Non-Surgical Class 2 Correction in Adult Patients, 
This was a lecture by Dirk Wickman as part of the European Orthodontic Society's series of webinars. Dirk Wickman is a professor in orthodontics in Hanover and also is the owner of the lingual orthodontic system called WIN. Dirk started off describing that up to half a unit class 2 correction can be carried out using intermaxillary elastics with good compliance. However, his lecture focuses on the greater than half unit class 2 discrepancy. And there were two concepts that he displayed in this lecture. One was managing through using a Herbst appliance with customised lingual appliances. He described this as going west as it advances the lower dental alveolar complex. And the second concept was that of lingual appliances combined with temporary anchorage devices or mini screws. And he described this as going east, distalizing the maxillary arch. So starting with the first concept, the use of a Herbst appliance and lingual appliances. Dirk described how this advances the alveolar complex in the mandible, advances the lower labial segment. He described how there is some distalization that takes place through using the herbst in the maxillary arch, however it's relatively small. And the advantage of using lingual appliances combined with the herbst is that lingual appliances are ideal at maintaining or idealizing the lower incisor inclination. This was a paper by Dirk Wickman in 2010. He described that there are similar outcomes when it comes to comparing both labial and lingual appliances with the herbs. That was bought from 2016. He mentioned that there's been some research looking at lingual and herbst appliances using the strict criteria of the ABO assessment outcomes. This was in a paper by Mojajek in 2020, and they looked at consecutive retrospective cases. And they found when applying lingual appliances and the Herbst appliance, these were patients from Dirk Wickman's uh, clinic, they found that all patients would have passed the ABO. What was interesting is that they found severe cases with ABO criteria of 30 to 40 still achieved similar outcomes to simple cases. He described the stability of the Herbst and lingual appliance approach. He mentioned how using the Herbst itself has been shown to be stable over a 30-year period, and that relates to Panchurch's study from 2014, which was a landmark study. He described there are indicators for instability, again quoting the same paper, and it relates to poor interdigitation and actually the retention regime. Now, Dirk has his own tips when it comes to retention with class 2 correction. He recommends the use of an activator for the first two years, which is one millimeter active to be used at nighttime. Now, the second concept Dirk Wickman put forward for the correction of class 2 adult cases was that of going east, or the idea of using temporary anchorage devices to retract or distalize in the maxilla. The way he applies this is to have four mini screws, two buccal and two palatal. These are positioned in the interdental regions between the second premolar, or the second bicuspid, and the first molar. The direction of retraction is carried out through using power chain directly attached to the canine hooks on the lingual appliances. 
He's carried out a number of studies. Now, this involves using superimposition, using the temporary anchorage devices. And what he's demonstrated from this process is that anterior traction takes place without any posterior protraction. It's absolute anchorage. He also described occlusal plane changes. There's a rotation which takes place, which is a clockwise rotation, similar to what's been described with the Herbst appliance. And he described how this is advantageous for class 2 correction. The occlusal plane rotates in a clockwise direction and helps to correct the molar relationships. Now, stability is one he was honest with, is that there isn't much evidence supporting these mechanics. However, there has been some literature produced, and this was by Birchtold in 2020. It was looking at label appliances, but also utilising mini screws in similar mechanics to the way Dirk described them. And it showed that it is stable to have total maxillary arch distalization using mini screws. Dirk then said, well, how do you decide whether you go east or go west? How do you use, decide to use a Herbst appliance for advancement of the mandibular alveolar complex or distalization of the maxillary dentition? And he described his criteria. He will carry out distalization of the maxilla in cases where there's severe lower arch crowding where the low incisors are already proclined, or there are concerns over the gingiva friability. He described using a Herbst appliance where there was little or no frontal crowding. There was thick and large attached gingiva, and it's robust, and also if there's a retrusive profile. Welcome to this episode of Orthodontics in Summary. Today's lecture is entitled The Future of Orthodontics, Going Backwards with a Fancy Vehicle by Theodore Eliadis. This was part of the European Orthodontic Society's series of webinars. Theodore described three new technologies. He described aligners, 3D printing materials, and also concluded by describing technologies which haven't yet been applied in orthodontics. So to start off with aligners... He described them as a way of engaging the tooth surface and exerting a force. And the way aligners achieve this is through a distortion of the aligner itself. It then reasserts its shape or its shape memory to then move the tooth. And in my understanding, that's similar to nickel titanium archwise being deflected and then reforming to their original shape. He mentioned with aligners, there's also distortion at a molecular chain level, and this makes the material stiffer. And he went on to describe three key mechanical properties of aligners, which make them not ideal. He described the hardness of an aligner as being significantly high, about 100 newtons per millimeter. He described the elastic index. Now, he described how the strain or the stretch of the aligner before permanent deformation is only about 34 to 40%. He also mentioned that all aligners have creep as part of their properties, and that is where we get permanent deformation taking place over time, and it's in the order of 2 to 4%. He described the evidence behind aligners as being particularly weak. What we do know, though, is that aligner accuracy from the planning is around 47%. When it comes to the outcomes of treatment, we know in comparison to fixed appliances, there is a statistical difference between peer assessment rating outcomes and the odds of 0.3 are the difference. And that's a paper by Gu in 2017. 
When it comes to other outcome objective parameters, such as the ABO, we know that the worst occlusal outcomes were the liners when compared to fixed, and that was Papa Giorgio's systematic review from 2020. He mentioned there have been efforts to improve this when it comes to aligners, and that is through use of attachments, which are composite traditionally. Now, he described that the use of attachments already reduces the key advantages that aligners had in that they now involve bonding similar to fixed appliances. He also mentioned that actually we cover a larger surface area with attachments than we will do with fixed appliances. He also described the difficulty in removing attachments and how we generate extensive aerosols as part of the process. There's also the concept of a snaggy fit. And what is that? Well, a snaggy fit is the complication of this differential in wear of the different materials. We've got the aligner, we've got the composite now on the tooth structure surface, and we've also got the tooth itself. And this can change the properties of the aligner interacting with the tooth. You mentioned the missing components to aligners with respect to our research. And one of the key things that we're missing are independent trials, looking at outcomes and durations of treatment. We're also missing a hazard assessment of the release of factors from both the aligner, but also from the composite when it gets removed. He then went on to talk about 3D printing in orthodontics, and there's two key ways it's used. One is for polymers, such as for aligners and plastics, but also for alloys. He described 3D printing materials for polymers for aligners are starting to be experimented with. And the main advantage that they offer is that they don't have the same hardness as traditional aligner material. He described 3D printing for alloys. And he mentioned that we need to ensure that we are carrying out the research prior to the production. And he gave the example, stainless steel is a typical material that's used for manual production. It has long and extensive research associated with it. However, 3D printing, the material of choice, is actually cobalt chromium. This is a material with unknown corrosive properties. But we do know that cobalt has been identified as carcinogenic and also respiratory sensitizer. And this needs to be investigated with orthodontics prior to us going en masse and printing with 3D alloys. Theodore concluded looking at new technologies which haven't been applied in orthodontics so far. And he focused on adhesives. He mentioned composite bonding has challenges in that it can create damage to the enamel surface. And he described a new material, one which is biomimetic. Biomimetic is a Greek term which implies living or pretending to imitate something which is living. So he described a glue, an adhesive, which mimics that used by mussels and also by geckos in nature, which achieves significant adhesion. He described that this is being patented at the moment through the University of Southwestern for the possibility of using it in orthodontics. And this may then replace the mechanism of adhesion so far. That brings us to the end of this orthodontics in summary mini-series of webinars by the European Orthodontic Society. And I'd like to conclude with my thoughts and reflections on these three lectures. We had Professor Ravi Lander, who described the current state of orthodontics, how we do have manufacturers which are distorting some of the information coming out, but also we have some really good new science coming out to support certain clinical activities. 
Dirk Wichmann described resolving a class 2 case using through different contemporary mechanisms. And we concluded with Theodore, who described aligners, something which is replacing 30 to 40% of orthodontic practice. And he described how we're still at the infancy of understanding this science. And we have more questions to ask, and we have more developments to take place. Please do subscribe and look forward to the next episode.